Okay, we have an announcement to make. Joe Biden is president-elect. We can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president. Joe Biden becomes the first candidate to beat an incumbent in a quarter century. The Associated Press has called the presidency for Joe Biden. After flipping Arizona, Wisconsin, and Michigan, Pennsylvania was the state that pushed Joe Biden and his running mate Kamala Harris over the top, giving them enough votes to secure a victory in the Electoral College. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Saturday, November 7th. Coming up on the show, Joe Biden's long path to the White House. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. In January, when Joe Biden is sworn in, he'll be 78, making him the oldest president in history. His inauguration will bookend a career that started with the opposite distinction. He was first elected to the Senate at age 29, which made him one of the youngest senators ever. Our colleague Sabrina Siddiqui has been covering Biden's campaign, and she says over nearly five decades in public service, he developed a certain reputation. By and large, I think you could call him a party loyalist, and someone who very much held on to his identity as a centrist. He frequently worked across the aisle. When I got to the Senate, there were all the old segregationists were still there, 1972. But it still functioned. We argued like the devil, but it actually we did the people's business. I tell them my point of view and, and uh, try to find some space between us where we can reach a compromise. He often touted his relationships with Republicans at a time of increased polarization. And even as the Democratic Party, particularly in the later stages of his Senate career, began that shift to the left, Joe Biden firmly placed himself with party moderates. And that really reflected over the course of his Senate career, where he was never really a rabble rouser. Maybe not a rabble-rouser, but definitely someone with ambition. Biden has run for president twice before, in 1988 and 2008. He lost early in the primary both times, but his second run ended with an offer to become Barack Obama's vice president. A man with a distinguished record. A man with fundamental decency. And that man is Joe Biden. One of the reasons the Obama campaign chose Biden is because the two men complemented each other. They felt like they needed to offset Obama's youth and relative inexperience with someone who was more of a steady hand and a known quantity. And so that's where Joe Biden came in, an older white politician who was well-known in Washington. 
Although the Obama presidency was marked by increased divisiveness between the parties in Washington, Vice President Biden tried to push for bipartisanship, especially as the president's liaison on Capitol Hill. There were a lot of congressional battles in the Obama years. Almost every few months, there was a new cliff. There was a fiscal cliff. There was sequestration. There was the government shutdown. Biden would often be the deal maker, the one who would go and try and corral both Democratic votes as well as negotiate with Republican leaders. So it sounds like he did quite a bit. He was a pretty active vice president. He was a pretty active vice president. And then for all of the reputation he had built for being a centrist, for being a party moderate, he actually, in some ways, got out ahead of the Obama administration on some issues. Joe Biden came out in support of same-sex marriage before President Obama did in the 2012 election. I am absolutely comfortable with the fact that Men marrying men, women marrying women, and heterosexual men and women marrying women are entitled to the same exact rights, all the civil rights, all the civil liberties. And then he also, in later years, led the Obama administration's efforts to combat sexual assault on college campuses. So he took on other domestic issues as well that in some ways foreshadowed some of the social issues that would become integral to the Democratic Party in the years that followed. Biden sat out the race in 2016, but he reconsidered in 2020. And he says there was one moment that took him off the sidelines. He often goes back to Charlottesville and the violence in August of 2017. The young woman was killed. The president was asked to comment. He said something no American president has ever said. He said, quote, there were very fine people on both sides. Biden has said that he saw that moment as so pivotal in terms of defining the character of the nation and where the country could possibly go under Trump's watch and what really motivated him to eventually run for president one last time. In some ways, when Joe Biden entered the 2020 race, he seemed like the most unlikely candidate for the moment because we were talking about a party that was increasingly liberal, increasingly young and diverse. And here you have someone who immediately became not only the oldest candidate in the race, but in some ways seemed like a relic. He wasn't trying to usher in a sweeping movement or big structural change like some of the progressives in the race, such as Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So how was Biden trying to position himself in the primary? Biden campaigned on this sense of return to normalcy. He offered what was a very simple pitch. I honest to God believe the vast majority of Americans are done with the chaos, the corruption, the failure, the irresponsibility the indifference to American lives, the indifference to America's dignity. He was really just making his campaign about one thing and one thing only, and that was President Trump and the direction of the country under his watch. Even though he entered the race ahead in the polls, Biden's campaign quickly ran into problems. He was struggling to raise money. Some people forget that 
the whole reason why former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg and former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick entered the race at a late stage just before voting got underway was because there was a lot of concern in the donor class that Biden wasn't up to the task and they were worried about either Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, someone who is too liberal for the party's liking, running away with the nomination, especially without a clear centrist alternative. Biden lost badly in the first two primary contests in Iowa and New Hampshire, but he shrugged off those early defeats, betting that other states would get behind him. But look, we need to hear from Nevada and South Carolina and Super Tuesday states and beyond. How did Joe Biden then turn the corner? What really happened was Biden did reasonably better in the Nevada caucuses, but then came the South Carolina primary. And in the run-up to the primary, he earned the endorsement of Congressman Jim Clyburn, who is the kingmaker in South Carolina politics, the senior most member of the Congressional Black Caucus. But I want the public to know that I'm voting for Joe Biden, South Carolina's should be voting for Joe Biden. And that really helped Biden with the electorate in South Carolina. Black voters really propelled him to a victory there and put him back on the map. He then was in a better position going into Super Tuesday, but there was one problem, and that was there needed to be a consolidation on Super Tuesday, the most delegate-rich day of the primary. So Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar dropped out of the race in the 48 hours before Super Tuesday. I'm delighted to endorse and support Joe Biden. I am ending my campaign and endorsing Joe Biden for president. They really rallied behind Joe Biden and what you can't interpret but anything other than a rejection of Bernie Sanders and clearly a sense within the party that there needed to be someone more moderate and safer in some ways to take on President Trump in November. After consolidating moderates, Biden easily won the nomination. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility I accept this nomination for president of the United States of America. By then, the nation was struggling to fight the coronavirus pandemic. And suddenly, Biden's message of attacking Trump's leadership and promising a return to normalcy had become more relevant as the 2020 presidential race had become the coronavirus presidential race. It fundamentally changed the trajectory of the race and what the election was really about. I think for Joe Biden, he sort of saw then a direct correlation to what had really been his message all along, that you need steady leadership in government. And I think he saw an opportunity to really take what to many had not really been an inspiring campaign and turn it into something that really tapped into how a lot of people across the country were feeling, especially as the virus spiraled out of control and paralyzed every aspect of American life. In some ways, what was going on in the nation evolved to suit Biden's message. It really did, and he pursued what was somewhat of a risky campaign strategy because for the first couple months of the pandemic, he was hunkered down in his home in Wilmington, Delaware. And he was doing only virtual events. 
from his basement to the point where the Trump campaign began this new attack line. Joe Biden is just campaigning from his basement. He's hiding in his basement. What ended up happening, though, is the Biden campaign was able to draw a contrast where President Trump was undermining his own public health officials day by day, casting doubt on social distancing guidelines and the very science behind the coronavirus itself. And meanwhile, Biden was trying to put on this more responsible persona where he was listening to the experts and he always wore a mask when in public and really tried to draw a very sharp contrast with the president. That sharp contrast with President Trump worked. Coming up, how Joe Biden won and how he might govern. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Big picture, how was Joe Biden able to put this victory together? One thing that was fascinating about Joe Biden's campaign is he was never trying to create a movement. He didn't campaign on any kind of sweeping structural change. He had one message that was at the core of his candidacy, and that was the country is in search of unity and a return to some sense of normalcy and stability This is a battle for the soul of the United States of America. We're in an incredibly perilous moment, as all of you know. Winning means uniting America, not sowing more division and anger. It means not only fighting, but healing the country. What do we know about who voted for Joe Biden? The big caveat is that it's obviously early, and we will continue to get a lot of that data uh, as the days go by, perhaps even weeks. But what we can tell so far is that Biden was absolutely propelled by strong support in the suburbs and also by really driving up turnout among Black voters in some of the urban areas of these key states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, more specifically states where Hillary Clinton underperformed in 2016. We're also seeing some indication that there was a higher turnout among young voters who also did not turn out in the kind of numbers Hillary Clinton needed in 2016. But Biden certainly didn't do as well as many thought he would going in. Why do you think that is? It looked like Joe Biden 
had a real chance of flipping states like Florida, Ohio, Iowa, and that created this sense that maybe we were going to see a wave election. And in the end, President Trump comfortably carried both Ohio and Iowa, and he carried Florida by an even larger margin than he did in 2016. A big question for Democrats moving forward is going to be what happened in Florida because of Biden's performance in Miami-Dade, a longtime Democratic stronghold where he really underperformed among Latino voters. Now, Latino voters are not a monolith. And Cuban-American and Venezuelan-American voters had long been targeted by the Trump campaign, and it seems to have paid off. So, you know, even though we had a really high level of turnout, it didn't necessarily guarantee that the constituencies that you would associate with both parties held as firm as they have in previous elections. Donald Trump may have been defeated in this election, but he clearly will remain a strong force in the country and his supporters will remain a strong force in the country. What do you think the impact of that will be? I think because President Trump's loss was not as resounding as initially thought, he's going to remain an influential figure in the party. And so what that means is some of that nationalist agenda that really defined the Trump presidency is still going to linger within the party. Looking ahead now that Biden has won the presidency, what is his presidency going to look like? Well, a lot of Joe Biden's initial months will be spent trying to grapple with the ongoing ramifications of the pandemic. As president, the first step I will take will be to get control of the virus that has ruined so many lives. We will never get our economy back on track. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. And so, you know, a lot of the initial focus will be on getting a stimulus package through Congress if there is not one in the lame duck. But Biden has called for more emergency funding for schools, for health care. He has called to dramatically ramp up testing. So I just think that the virus is going to overwhelm the earlier stages of his presidency. In the times that we've heard from Joe Biden this week, he's talked a lot about how he wants to be a president for all Americans. Why do you think he's sending that message? This is a deeply polarized nation. One of the questions for Joe Biden is going to be, as he is now at the helm of the Democratic Party, where you have a growing and influential group of progressives who are clamoring for more structural change, how is he going to navigate that identity he has forged as a consensus builder and balance that with demands for expanding Medicare, perhaps expanding the number of seats on the Supreme Court, far-reaching environmental regulations. It's going to be, I think, the beginning of what is a longer and perhaps contentious ideological battle within the Democratic Party on matters of policy and agenda. And it's not just the Democratic Party. I mean, he'll be presiding over a government that is also deeply divided. 
Do you think he's going to have any hope of actually delivering on this message of unity? For Joe Biden, I think this is in some ways the ideal scenario because he has really emphasized his willingness to reach across the aisle and fashioned himself as a more moderate politician. And so this actually gives him some cover to not have to embrace some of these more liberal demands from the party's left flank because it's clear that he wouldn't have the votes in the Senate for a lot of those structural changes that they're seeking. And so it's actually in some ways for Joe Biden, who declined to endorse Medicare for all, who said he was not in favor of defunding the police, who also poured cold water on the idea of court packing. It's sort of an out on some of these very complex policy issues. But before Biden tussles with progressives in his own party and Republicans on the Hill, he'll face a more pressing challenge, bringing together a country after a contentious election with a sitting president who hasn't conceded and has promised to fight the outcome in court. After five decades in politics, this might be Joe Biden's biggest political challenge yet. That's all for today, Saturday, November 7th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.